Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 29, week 29, volume 29, number fucking 29. How you going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. We've got a big show this week as we do every week. We've got all the Mosh news. We've got Mosh reviews and I sit down for a chat with Sal of Sworn Enemy. All of that is coming up in the show. So let's start things off as we do every week, and that is with the Mosh News. Behemoth have announced their new album will be titled I Loved You At Your Darkest, and it will be released on October 5th through Metal Blade Records. To coincide with the news, they released a music video for the first single off the album, which is called God Equals Dog. First impressions is it's not as strong as The Satanist, But to be honest, it's going to take a lot to be able to top the Satanist. That was, without a doubt, one of the best albums ever released in the genre and will always be set as a benchmark. It is very good, God Equals Dog. It's a very interesting video. It is what you expect, but it's not horrible. It's still very good. A few friends of mine are very solid, very obsessed Behemoth fans, and they're not quite sure on it at the moment. They did say it's probably a grower. It will grow on you with time. But it's great. Behemoth are coming back. Big expectations and big things expected with this album. As I said, the song is called God Equals Dog. The album is called I Loved You At Your Darkest, and it is coming out October 5th on Metal Blade Records. Rise of the North Star have unleashed the title and artwork for their sophomore album. The album will be called The Legacy of She and it will be coming out October 19th through Nuclear Blast Records. The interesting European slash Japanese crossover band are looking to really push forward with this album. As I said, it is their sophomore album but they do have two EPs also in their discography. So this will be a big thing for them. It's been produced by Gojira. Big things expected should be really good. And as I said, it's called The Legacy of She. It comes out October 19th on Nuclear Blast Records. Melbourne Brutal Boys, Boris the Blade, have unleashed a music video for their song Therundy. It's from their upcoming vinyl 7-inch release, which is called Infernum. And that release is due on August 17th, so in a couple of weeks' time. Now, this is really exciting from Boris the Blade. When I'm speaking honestly about Boris the Blade, their first EP and album didn't do much for me. It was very good, it was very well done, but it didn't quite do anything for me. Now, since their last album and through the taste of this release, I think we're getting a really exciting period for Boris the Blade. They're taking that death metal, deathcore sound, and they're influencing and integrating some new metal kind of tinges into it, some metalcore feels into it. Really great video as well. So as I said, the video is called Therundy. It's off their 7-inch, which comes out August 17th, which is called Infernum. Killswitch Engage have announced some extra shows for their upcoming Australian visit. They are, of course, touring with Parkway Drive and Thy Art Is Murder, but they will be, while they're in the country, playing a headline show in Sydney on October the 30th at the Metro Theatre, and they will be playing a headline show in Melbourne on November the 4th at Max Watts. So if you're in those cities, make sure you get a ticket Tickets are on sale now. Make sure you get a ticket because those shows will sell out. Those tickets will go like hotcakes. As I said, Killswitch playing extra shows in Australia, playing Sydney on October 30th and Melbourne on November the 1st. D's Nuts are going to be touring around Australia this September and October. The tour is called D's Nuts Does Australia Tour. They're going to be hitting a lot of regional cities and a lot of major cities. They're going to be going from Cairns all the way through to Frankston. So D's Nuts are your kind of thing. Get along to a show. Tickets are on sale now through Destroy All Lines and make sure you get yourself a ticket. 
Other tour news this week was Polaris are not finished yet. They have announced their spring tour 2018, and it's fucking huge. Alongside them for the tour will be the Devil Wears Prada, Gideon, and Melbourne band Thornhill. The tour will be kicking off Thursday the 1st of November in Perth. It will then be hitting up Brisbane on Friday the 2nd of November. Then it will hit Sydney on Saturday the 3rd. It will also be venturing into Adelaide on the 8th of November and then wrapping things up in Melbourne on the 9th of November. Tickets are on sale now. They're available through Destroy All Lines and this is a tour that is so chock-a-block. So much talent, such a sexy lineup, really, really good tour. And Polaris just continuing to do things. Really exciting and a great tour. Make sure you get a ticket because those shows, there's only a few of them and they will sell out quick. Now, while we're speaking of Polaris, they have unleashed a music video for their song Dusk Today via Resist Records. Make sure you scope that out. Fit for a King released another track from their upcoming album, which is due on September the 14th through Solid State Records. The song is called Backbreaker. Make sure you scope that out. The Agony Scene have unleashed another music video from their recent album that we reviewed a couple of weeks ago. The song they released is The Ascent and Decline, and the album it is from is called Tormentor. Make sure you scope that out. Clutch have revealed a new music video for their song Hot Bottom Feeder. That is, of course, off their upcoming album Book of Bad Decisions. We also got a music video this week from Phil Anselmo and the Illegals, so make sure you check all of that out. Now, if you want to scope out any of that artwork, any of those music videos, any of those new songs, if you want to find the ticketing information and links for those tours, make sure you jump on our website and our social medias. Now, our website is www.themoshone.com. Our social medias are all at The Moshone. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Now, if you're liking and following us on the social medias and if you have subscribed to the website, you will be kept updated with all of that news and information every time it's posted. Make sure you're scoping out the news so you never miss any of the news. Now it's time for Mosh Reviews. First up this week is the new album by Hailstorm titled Vicious, out now. This is the band's fourth album and it clocks in at 12 tracks. The band in 2015 released an album called Into the Wildlife and that was very much more polished, very slick, very pop-influenced album. They've tried to, on this album, really double down on the rock and roll vibes. They've tried to really emphasise more of a rock vibe and unfortunately what's resulted is a really mixed bag of just cringe and unworthy music. Hailstorm are a band that always have an affinity and a love for the 80s. They really pay homage to bands like Skid Row, White Snake, Dio, just to name a few. But while those bands made a career out of being able to craft really memorable riffs, really memorable moments, really memorable choruses, Hailstorm on Vicious unfortunately just ends up feels like it's lumbering and sludging through some really down-tuned, boring, clunky pub rock songs. Vocally, this band have always been highlighted for the amazing pipes that Lizzie Hale has, and yes, she has an amazing voice, but unfortunately that can't disguise the fact that while there is character and attitude in her vocals, the lyrics are boring and the songs are definitely boring. While Nickelback do those over-the-top, sexual, lust-orientated lyrics, Hailstorm do the same. And while Nickelback's cringy, Hailstorm is without a doubt cringy. The album constantly feels like it's stumbling 
and trying to pick itself up and it's trying too often to try too many things. There's rap rock, there's new metal feelings, there's dance pop, there's pub rock, there's sugary sweet choruses and all of it feels worthless. It has to be said, I don't understand how anyone can like this band. I'm really surprised they're four albums into a career. I don't know how. I know they're very well received and loved in parts of Europe and parts of America, but I'm ashamed that they are. I'm ashamed that people like this. Hailstorm, without a doubt, know how to write music, but unfortunately, they without a doubt know how to write forgetful music. I reviewed a lot of painful and very horrible music over the course of our episodes, but this one is definitely the worst I've heard. Do not recommend it. Do not say it's worth your time in any aspect of it. If you want to listen to some poppy crap music, turn on your radio and tune into some mainstream radio. Listen to something aside from Hailstorm. I don't, I don't, I got nothing else to say. Just no, just absolute no in every aspect of it. The band I am talking about is Hailstorm. The album is Vicious and it is out now and we do rate it a 0 out of 10. Next up for review this week is the new EP by Brain Freeze called Bane, out now independently. So Brain Freeze are from Adelaide, Australia and this is their second release. This EP clocks at six tracks and it's very well crafted hardcore. This is a band that know what they're doing. It's very gritty. It's very underground sounding. It's got a massive two-step vibe. There's a lot of rhythm throughout and it's an EP that catches you off guard. Sometimes bands like this appear out of nowhere with so much promise and Brain Freeze are showing all of that promise. This band show feelings of broken teeth, cruel hand, terror, madball. There's everything going on here and it's oozing with talent, skill and musicianship. Really exciting EP and a really exciting band coming out of Adelaide. Adelaide's showing that it's starting to regain its position on the Australian metal and hardcore scene and Brain Freeze are a perfect example of that. Only one song clocks over four minutes. All the songs are very short, sharp and to the point. So the band have an ability of knowing what they're doing and not overstaying or overstretching a song. It's really punchy. And like I said at the start that it's gritty and very underground feeling, they've gone for that on purpose. Now, while it still sounds like that, it still sounds massive. It still has a very good production feel to it. Really exciting band. This is for fans of hardcore this is for fans of the two-step the breakdown the riff the crunch this is for fans of cruel hand this is for fans of down to nothing this is for fans of broken teeth this is for fans of madball and terror this is for fans of hardcore i am talking about brain freeze the ep is called bane it is out now independently and we do give it an eight and a half out of ten Our last album up for review this week is the new album by Crossfaith called Ex Machina, out now. So this album clocks in at 13 tracks and this is Crossfaith from Japan. So Crossfaith are a band that started around 2006 and they're a band that were pretty much what you'd call metalcore by numbers. They have always flirted with this electronic influence. There was always a DJ or synthesizer playing on some tracks. As their career's gone on, we've seen this electronic rave element become more of their sound. You come into this album, Ex Machina, and now this electronica rave sound is a major player. Clean vocals are a major player. This band is not what you expect them to be, on this album if you're going off their first few releases. I found it really difficult to enjoy this album because I'm very much a fan of their very early stuff, the very metalcore, the very heavy riffs, the very breakdown moments, the very aggressive moments. Those moments are very minimal on here. 
A track like The Perfect Nightmare, which was a single they released, is the heaviest song on the album. And that's pretty disappointing because it's a very good song. And if they had taken that blueprint and run with it a bit more, I think we would have had a better album. Perfect way of summing up this album is it feels like a rave going on in a video game. It's really weird. At times, it feels over the top. At times, it feels way too mainstream for its own good. The album really feels like it's lacking in its edge, its crunch, its intensity, its aggression. The band have always been massively hyped, and I don't know if that will continue. I think the momentum might be lost now for Crossfaith. Over the last few EPs and albums, they've been losing momentum slowly but surely, and I unfortunately feel like this album will lose more momentum even more. I don't think any longer you can call them metalcore. I think you need to call them dancecore. They're a band that play heavily along the lines of The Browning and Blessed by a Broken Heart and Enter Shikari. It's very much in all of those bands' vein. Will you come back to this album for more listens? I'm not sure. I really doubt it. Will this album push Crossfaith further into the realms of the heavy metal hierarchy? I don't think it will. Unfortunately for me, it was a very let down album. There is those occasional moments that you enjoy in songs, but then that moment's fleeting and it disappears very quickly. Very disappointing, unfortunately. Hopefully it's just a blip and hopefully their next album will see them going back to their heavier style. This is for fans of Dancecore. This is for fans of bands like The Browning, like Blessed by a Broken Heart, like Skip the Foreplay. This is for fans of rave music mixed with riffage. This is for fans of pop-punk moments with a dance beat behind them. The album I am talking about is Ex Machina. It is by Crossfaith, and it is out now. And we do give it a 3 out of 10. So that's it for our Mosh Reviews, done and dusted for this week, all in the can. What did you think about our reviews? Did you agree? Did you disagree? Get in touch, let us know. Is there something coming out that you want us to review, or is there something that's come out previously that we've missed? Get in touch, let us know. Are you in a band and you've got an album or an EP coming out and you'd like us to review it? Get in touch let us know. If you want to get in touch, you can get in touch through the email, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. You can get in touch through our social medias. All of those are at The Mosh Zone. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can get in touch through the website, which is www.themoshzone.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Help us create this show how you want this show to be. It's now time for our Mosh interview of the week. Really, really excited that I got to sit down with Sal of Sworn Enemy. If you don't know who Sworn Enemy are and you like your hardcore and your crossover sounds, what the fuck are you doing? After this chat, get into Sworn Enemy. Really excited to get the opportunity to talk to Sal and really thankful that he took some time out of his hectic schedule. He was actually talking to me just on his way to rehearsal. Thank you, Sal. Really enjoyed the chat. The chat with Sal is coming up now. Do you remember what age you were or, you know, what period of your life you were when you discovered music? Not necessarily heavy music, but just music. Let's see. I think it was... uh, I had to be... Probably like 1976, 75. And do you remember what it was? My mother bought, yeah, my mother bought me uh, Kiss, Destroyer. That was my first record ever. And what about it really drew you in? Was it the, um, the imagery or was it the music? I mean, what was it? Well, you know... Being a kid, I think I was, let's see, when that record came out, I think it came out in 75 or 76. I can't remember what, what year exactly, but being a kid, I was drawn to, they were like monsters. Like, I loved their makeup, the, the artistry behind all the work that they put into dressing up, the costumes, everything, man. 
I was a huge Kiss fan when I was a kid. Like, I was like four or five years old, but I was rocking out to Kiss. I loved it. And was Kiss the band that kind of brought you into more of the heavy style? No, not even. After after Kiss, I probably started liking softer shit. Oof. So they weren't even they weren't even close to being the band that, that brought me into the heavy stuff. The brand the band that got me started on a metal path was Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. Ooh, classics. I'm, you know, yeah, those for me that's what got me going. I, I think that's probably the the transition for a lot of people who if they if they're into heavy music they probably all started with either one of those two bands or maybe like a good eighty five to ninety percent of the people who are into metal started with those one of those two bands. So you grew up in um, Queens, isn't it? Yes, sir. And how was it growing up in Queens, being a alternative kid, heavy metal kid? Was it kind of widely accepted, or was it you were a bit of an outsider because of what you listened to? Well, I'm gonna be honest. I'm I'm a strange character because I was into all styles of music, and growing up in Queens, I was able to like you know I don't know if you know what like what a Guido is. You know what a Guido is? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, growing up, I was a Guido, oh. so you know I'm I'm from I'm from a, I'm an Italian descent. My fa- my you know my family straight off the boat from Italy. You know, I like rocking gold chains and gold bracelets. I'm all about the fucking Guido lifestyle. And I used to go to a lot of clubs in the city. I used to, you know, I used to go to the the, 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 the freestyle parties. So I had like the best of both worlds. I could go hang out with my Guido friends and I can go to clubs and, you know, do my thing there. And I can go to the metal clubs and the hardcore clubs and do my thing there as well. So, you know, for me... I had no problems with anybody, and everybody knew me as the fucking the me- I was I was the metalhead Guido. That's not a bad thing. I mean, it gets gets you into both worlds. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's definitely not a bad thing. I'm not complaining about it. I had a great time growing up. I enjoyed my childhood. So, when in your childhood did you decide that you know you wanted to give vocals or heavy music in particular? <laughs> A crack. What was the decision that made you go, this is what I want to do? Well, I mean, it didn't happen because I wanted it to happen. It just kind of fell into my lap. I was, you know, me and a couple of my friends from the neighborhood, a couple of metalhead kids, we used to go to the studio and hang out on the weekends. And, you know, we basically went into the studio because we wanted to drink and smoke. So we didn't really care about music, but he was a he was a good guitar player where he could learn other bands' songs, and we used to go to the studio and always just fuck around playing covers and shit. So, you know, we'd go hang out and do Overkill covers, Nuclear Assault covers, Exodus covers, Slayer covers, Testament covers, Metallica covers, you know, and we used to always just do that. And, you know, one day, the dude who wrote all, who used to cover all the music on guitars, like, yo, I know this guy that said that we we get a band together and, you know, we start writing some songs, he'll let us play his club, which, you know, eventually that place turned out to be Castle Heights, which was one of my, you know, which was Sworn Enemy stomping grounds for a very long time. Like, we grew up, that was our scene, kind of. Like, that was the, the greatest place for us. It was one of the few places in Queens where you could, you know, play your music and have a good time and enjoy yourself. But anyway, so he knew Cass Condado, who was the book promoter from Castle Heights, and he told me, he's like, yo, if we can start writing some material and, you know, getting some shit together, that he'll put us on some shows. So I was like, yo, that's awesome. And that's how it basically started, just by, just by out of default, because nobody else knew all the words to the cover songs, and I did. So I sang. And did you, did you take lessons, or did you just self-teach yourself? No lessons. I just did what came natural. Fuck. And you, I know that before Sworn Enemy, the band was, you know, you had two different names or two different bands. It was Downfall and Mindset. And then Sworn Enemy really kind of started in early 2000s, around 2000, 2001. And straight from the bat, you guys seemed to gain 
quite a bit of attention with the first release, Negative Outlook. And what was that like at the time? Because you were being called a hardcore band, but you had so much of a thrash influence going on as well. Uh, dude, I mean, at the time, we didn't really, we didn't really care. I mean, we just really wanted to get with Jamie and, and, you know, be on his label and try to get our music out there. You could have called us fucking shitheads if you wanted. I don't even, it didn't even make a difference. As long as somebody was interested in getting our music to the masses, you know, that's all we really cared about. And do you think that label, Jester's label, Stillborn, was really pivotal in getting you guys out there? Of course, because at that time when we signed with uh, Jamie, when he put out Negative Outlook in 1999, Hatebreed was starting to take off. They were getting so big, and, you know, it was they were massive. And, you know, we, we were with Jamie for a good three-year good three run from 99 2000, 2001, 2002. And it basically, he launched our career and got us signed with his management, No Name Management, which in turn got us signed to Electra Records. I mean, Electra Records is it's the same label that, you know, Pantera was on, Metallica was on, Ludacris was on, Missy Elliott was on, you know, Fabulous was on. We were on, we were on a label with bands like that and groups like that. It was like insane. It's like here's a couple of dudes from Queens, <laughs> and you know, with shit jobs, not doing anything, not going anywhere. And next thing you know, we're on Electra Records, and and we're getting ready to go out and play Ozfest. I was like, holy shit! It, it was it was sick. So Jamie was totally instrumental in the beginning of this band. He really got us a foothold on everything that we had. And how did you how did you link up with him? Did he find you guys or did you guys just hound him and, and pursue him? We played a show. This is now going back to 1998. It actually happened to be Sean Martin's very first show at Hatebreed. It was, we played a, a VFW hall in Brockton. Well, not, was it VFW? No, it was, it was a one-to-one club in Brockton, Massachusetts. And Hatebreed was headlining. There was Shadows Fall, Diecast, One Enemy, uh, Grimm, and, and, and us. So the guitar players at the time in Swan Enemy, Lorenzo and Mike, they approached Jamie and talked with him and told him that, you know, we, we recorded uh, an EP and we really want him to listen to it and, you know, be on part of his label. And... That, and from there, it just, you know, he said he agreed. He listened to it. He liked it. At the time, we were called Mindset. We weren't called Sworn Enemy. We were called Mindset. And But he said that, we, you know, we have to change the name because there was a band from Virginia called Mindset that was threatening to sue us if we used that name. So uh, we had to change our name because of those bitches. <laughs> and you mentioned... Ozfest, and that was around the time that you guys did sign to Electra, and that was as real as it gets. Which, um, I mean, looking looking on it now, you're about to tour the 15 year anniversary of it. Um, and would you say that that's the album that really kind of I don't know if it's the right word, but broke you and exposed you to everyone? Because that album, everyone, if they speak about Sworn Enemy, is the one that they say is their favourite. So it was it. do you now see it as the pivotal album in the career? Of course. I mean, without that album, who knows what happens if we even become the band that we are today? How, you know, how, was, it at, how was it at the time? Like, did you feel like it was a really good album or was it quite a bit of pressure and struggles going into it? What was the atmosphere at, at the time? At the time it was extremely hard because from 2001 to about when that, when that record came out, we were on the road nonstop. Like we never had a break. We, we toured over 300 shows a year. And even after that, we were still touring so many shows a year. And, but up until that point, 
trying to write a record and then people giving us deadlines, like, you know, we never had a deadline before. We didn't know what a deadline was. And now we have like, well, you got to record this record by this time. We need the artwork in by this time. We need to have all of this paperwork done by this time. It's like, holy shit, you know, like we weren't a band anymore. We were a fucking business. It was crazy. It was, there was so much shit going on that it was hard to keep track of. And I really, me personally, I don't like business side of anything. I don't like the business aspect of things. I like to, I want to just show up to a show and play and have a good time. Have a few drinks, hang out with my friends. So everything got a bit too stressful at that time. It was, it was, it was very stressful. It was very stressful. And, you know, I didn't really, I, I couldn't tell you what I thought that that, how that record was because the we did it in, it was, it was like a blur. We, we did it in, you know, we, we wrote half of it in, uh, Jeff and Mike Focci's basement from Full Blown Chaos. We wrote another half of it in Chris Golos's basement from Agents of Man slash uh, Bulldoze. You know, we, we were all over the place writing shit whenever we could and wherever we could. It was a very difficult time. And, you know, we're, we're fortunate that we wrote a record that people actually think is that good. You know, like you would think that if I tell you everything that we had to go through to write this record, you would be like, wow, it's amazing. How did you write that a, a record that people think that is a, one of the quintessential records of of its era? You know? Yeah. And that's the thing. It is. It's deemed of of the hardcore sound. It's deemed one of the essential albums. Like you said, it really is. And, you know, you're about to tour um, a bunch of shows off the back of it. So it's got to be exciting to go back and replay all of that in context, isn't it? Well, you know, I, I'll tell you what I will enjoy. I will enjoy the fact that people will come to the show and enjoy that we're playing stuff that they want to hear. Mm. That's what I enjoy. You know, I after playing, you know, I like going to see Metallica play when I was a kid, you know, not, well, not when I was a kid, when I was younger, and, you know, you would see them play songs like Whiplash and Jump in the Fire. Well, now I understand how Metallica feels 40 years later when they still have to play those songs. I'm sure they want to play other stuff, but, you know, some songs you have to play because that's what people want to hear. Not to say that I don't love all of my songs, but sometimes you want to play other stuff that maybe people don't like as much as this other stuff. So it's, it's difficult. And now I understand what other bands go through when you tell, when I go to bands and I ask them, yo, why aren't you playing this song? Why aren't you playing this song? Because I get it all the time now too, you know? So I understand <laughs> a lot of how that operates. But listen, I'm fortunate regardless that I was able to make a record like As Real As It Gets and people do love that record. And if it's the only record that they love by us, then... I did at least one thing right, and I could say that, you know, I have one record that people love. Some bands maybe don't have any records that people love. Well, that's true, but I, I do. I think you guys have had more than that because the next album you guys released was the beginning of the end, which was very. It felt like a, a new uh, sound and direction in many ways. It was more geared to a quicker beat, um, the thrash felt like it was there. Um, now, that album coming off the back of As Real As It Gets, did did it get the same kind of attention and success or did it kind of stall a bit and not quite get what you wanted out of it? Well, here's the funny thing. When we wrote Beginning to the End, we I think we took it to the next level and I thought that that, in my, in my opinion, out of all the records that I have out, to this date, right now, beginning to end is my favorite Sworn Enemy record. And I thought that that was going to be like Sworn Enemy's Rain and Blood. You know, I thought that that was going to be our big record. I thought it was going to fucking set us off on the right path and make us like what Lamb of God is today. I was mistaken. And, you know, it's so crazy that uh, when that record came out, that it was so hard to deal with because I I had people calling us sellouts. What? Which, which I could never understand. I'm like, how do you make a heavier record and you sell out? It doesn't sell out when you become a poser and you write music for money. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand. And it was, it was like, 
I was heartbroken because I thought that this record was fantastic and it was the best shit ever. And I think the it's people amazing. just called the sellouts on it. I think that that and then Maniacal are both as strong, if not stronger, than as real as it gets. The the sound on those albums are amazing um and that was around the time i was discovering you guys was around the beginning of the end and that was also around the time that you had um on maniacal especially you had jordan of azalea dying come in and do drums and how yes. how did that come about because it it felt like a very unique setup and he definitely brought um a different sound to that album in particular well, it was very easy for us to get Jordan because Tim from Azalea Dying produced the record. Yes, yeah, so he also did Beginning of the End, didn't he, as well? Yeah, he did Beginning of the End, Total World, and Michael. He did all three of those records. So for us, when we didn't have, we didn't have, we had a drummer in place, but he wasn't ready to record with us yet because we just got him. So Tim's like, well, why don't we just let Jordan do it? I was like, okay, that's not a problem with me. Jordan's a fantastic drummer. And how did how did the hookup with Tim come about? <sighs> Adelaide Dying was playing somewhere in New York around 2004. And Lorenzo was good friends with him because we had just, we had just, believe it or not, in, in, in February of 2004, we took Adelaide Diana on tour. They were direct support for us. So Lorenzo went to the show to hang out with him. He brings Tim back to the studio while we're jamming. And he's like, yo, Tim started talking. He's like, I want to produce you guys the next record. I know I can do it. You got to just believe me, trust me. And, you know, I was a little skeptical because Tim was, you know, his band was a little bit different from ours. Mm. So I wasn't really sure what to think of that. But Lorenzo's like, yo, let's give it a shot, man. And we gave it a shot. And I'll tell you, it worked out really great. Like, I think Tim is a fantastic producer. I think he did a great job with us. And uh, we recorded some really good records with him. Yeah, you definitely did. I mean, some of those are, like I said, they 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 stand the test of time. And he did your last one. To, well, last one with him was Total World Domination, and then you guys yeah. just kind of it felt like from the outside that you not only went quiet but you kind of disappeared. Now I know during that period there was a lot of lineup changes and a lot of chaos going on. Was was this during the time that maybe you had to reevaluate if Sworn Enemy was still going to be um, going and still important? Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, everybody, as you get older, you got to reevaluate, reassess your life and see what you got to do. And, you know, people couldn't live off of the band. And so everybody decided to call it a day, except for me. Mm. I, felt, I still had the fire and the drive. I didn't want to call it a day. And... You know, it took me some time. I wound up finding guys to play, and, you know, and right now I still have those guys. So I'm pretty I'm pretty fortunate that I'm able to still have a band that is as fantastic as the guys that I have right now. I mean, Mike, Matt, Jeff, Taekwon, all, all four of those dudes are straight-up awesome guys, great dudes, and fantastic musicians. And, you know, a, a Living on Ball Time was an experiment, kind of, because we really had no idea of how to write a song together. We had no idea of, you know, these guys just coming, like, they basically just came in in 2010, but we still really weren't doing anything. We weren't playing a lot of shows. We weren't doing much. We were just, you know, whatever we can get. Like, it's, it, it seemed like the band fell apart and we were, like, rebuilding basically. So it took us a while. We didn't, you know, living on borrowed time. It was a learning process for all of us. But I think I can't, I mean, I wish I had the new record out already. It will be coming out shortly. And uh, if you hear this new record, everybody got it. Everybody understands what it is now. They know it. And this new record is Beginning to the end, as real as it gets, 
but ten times harder. Now, this new album you're talking about, I do know that I saw some stuff going on on Instagram last year that you guys have linked up and had Rob Flynn with you in the studio during periods of it. Now, um, how did that come about and what what part has he played in it? Did he guest spot? Did he help write some of the music? Like, how, What's going on there with all the Rob Flynn stuff? My bass player is a business partner from California, uh, uh-huh. Dominic DeLuca. Is a, he's a well-known person in the music industry. Let's put it like that. And he knows a lot of people. And, you know, he made a, he made a, he made a call to Rob and see if he would produce our record. And Rob said, yeah. Fuck. You know, and it was, it was just like that. So we went out to California. We recorded a new record. And I mean, this is probably, I'm not, I mean, I want to pat myself on the back how amazing I think this record is. It's, this is the best shit. I, I, not only the best shit I've done, but it's the best shit I've ever heard. I'm going to put it like that. I mean, if if you gave this record to a band that was big, they'd get bigger. <laughs> That's how good I think this record is. Now, when when do you expect a release? Is it going to happen this year or is it going to happen next year? It's going to happen. It's going to happen this year. I can't really talk about it yet because we're in the process right now of doing some shit, but it's going to happen soon. Fuck Real soon. yes. Fuck yes. I I'm I can't wait. Like as soon as I saw you guys were working with Rob, I got extra excited. But just knowing you guys were in the studio got me excited. So this is going to be yeah, fuck, fuck yes. Um, now a couple of other questions before I let you go. But one that I'd be an idiot not to ask because it's all over the the scene at the moment. And what's your? I mean, where you've worked with Tim a lot. And, I mean, have you seen the way the metal scene has reacted? And, I mean, what's your impression on the situation? Or how do you feel on the situation? Because I think a lot of people are just creating a shitstorm for the sake of creating a shitstorm. And I don't think they know the situation, if that makes sense. Nobody knows the situation except for Tim and whoever was involved in it. Mm. And I'm going to be honest, the Tim I remember is a really awesome dude, great guy. And, I mean, listen, nobody knows the situation that he was in, what he was going through. So anyone to pass judgment on anyone else is a bitch. So, yeah, well said. You know, I mean, everyone, every, everyone's going to have their own say of what they think. But that's fine and dandy. But I think instead of posting that out on social media, you should just keep it to yourself. Yes, exactly. This is, the, this is why. I, this is why I hate social media because it's, you know, you could hide behind a, a, a keyboard and, you know, I never, I never get political. I never get religious. I never get into too much on my social media. I keep it sworn enemy related, and that's it. Because I don't really want to have fights with people every day of my life on social media. Because I know that that's what it will come to. It because is. I know my views are not seen the same way as a lot of other people's views. But back to the Tim thing, I mean, Tim never did nothing wrong to me. Mm. I can't hate. I can't hate a person who never did nothing wrong to me, but only only helped me. You know. I think you hit the nail on the head, though. It's social media. It's people that they, because they've got it, they think it's a, a soapbox and a platform to tell everybody this is how it should be, and if you don't accept it, then they have a go at you. It's very, it's a very fucking weird time. Um, so you hit everything. It is, really is. You hit the nail on the head there. I think it's if you got nothing good to say, just don't say it. I think it's simple as it is. Right. Is that dude, that's that's the, one of the oldest sayings mm-hmm. in the history of of the world. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything. Exactly, that's one of the few things my dad taught me. So yeah, it's simple, simple as that. So a couple other questions I got is one with lyrics, with how you write lyrics. Um, your lyrics are very uplifting, but they're very personal and introspective. Now, has that always been something that was easy for you to do, or is it something that you've challenged, it's been a challenge? Like, how is writing lyrics for you? 
Well, I got to be in the mood, first of all. I mean, I can't just sit down and write something. Most of the time, I put, I put on the TV, you know? Really? I like to watch the news when I, need, when I need some good inspiration because the news is filled with a lot of bullshit, lies, propaganda, and all the kinds of crazy shit that's perfect for writing lyrics about. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my biggest inspiration is is the, is the news, and you know, I need to hear. I'm I'm weird where I need the band to write some music to give me a little more inspiration. You know, like I need to hear the beatdown. I need to hear the fucking thrash part. I need to hear the two step. I need to hear something that's you know so I can flow to it. You know, I that's, I, I like to have music. So you can't so, uh, you can't you know, just when, write when a get, song without it. When I get music, without, I'm sorry, again. So you can't write a song without the music already written. Yes, but on this new record, was a different different thing for me. I actually had 32 songs of lyrics written before I went to the studio. Oh, just a little bit, then. I. I well, I, I I mean the last record came out in 2014, so you got to think I I've been writing since then. Fuck. Um. Now, how do you see? Like, I mean, do you? This is a weird question. People call you a hardcore band, um, but you're just a heavy band. So, if someone said to you, describe the style of Sworn Enemy, how would you describe it? Underground music. Ooh, nice. Fuck yes. Yeah, simple. And do you do you get out to shows much outside of Sworn Enemy shows? Of course. When there's a good show around the way, I always try to get make it out. Me and my bass player were just at a show last week. We went to go see our friends at Billy Club Sandwich Play. Now, how do you see the current music scene because as you were saying before with the as real as it gets you're excited that people will turn out do you see live music as still being a popular thing or is it kind of waning a bit people aren't going out as much i mean it depends on the show nowadays i think it's all about having a great package you know you it used to be once upon a time the headliner used to be able to fill a room up by themselves now I think you have to have three or four really strong bands on a bill to make it work. Mm. You know, kids don't want to just pay. There's so many shows. Kids don't know what to go to, and they don't want to pay for this show and that show and that show. So you got to make one show a great show worth coming to. Now, do you think part of that is also the fact that the music industry isn't what it used to be? Well, the music industry isn't what it used to be, and plus... You have such a watered-down scene. Mm. I mean, there's so many bands. There's a show going on every day of the week. You know, once upon a time... Okay, let's go back to the 80s. I had to wait. If I missed my band that I wanted to see, I probably wouldn't be able to see them again for another six months to a year, maybe two years. Now, I can see my band every month if I want. It's insane, isn't it? It's... And it, it's it also, really is. It's I also mean, the. It's just. It's, it's. Yeah, go. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, and then the the pass on effect with um, now music being very um, indisp- It's very dispensable. It doesn't seem to be have the same effect now. People back when you know I was born in the '80s, I remember getting excited about an album, and it seems kids now don't care about an album. They only care about having a single. Um, and what's yeah. the what's the effect on a, on a band now? Do you feel that there is still pressure to make a good album or do you think it's, all right, I just need to get something out there? In my opinion, I mean, I think if you write something great, not just one song, but if every song is great, it, it'll sell. That's just my, my personal opinion. I mean, I'm a believer in good music will sell. That's the bottom line. You could have an album with one hit that's great. The rest of the songs suck. You're not going to do anything. I don't care how great that one song is because after that one song, people are going to get tired of you. You know, one hit wonders only go so far. 
very true. And what? And um, only a couple of questions left. But what are you? What are you listening to currently? You know, you said you're into a bit of everything. So, what are you currently jamming at the moment? Oof. I mean, uh, I kind of, I kind of taken a, a backseat to music for a little bit. I try not to really listen to much. My ears are, uh, they're all clogged up with a lot of crap. <laughs> so I try. <laughs> I, I mean, I've been, I, I basically am doing easy listening now. I've listened to a lot of seventies rock. Ooh, I nice. mean, you know, give me the Eagles, the Doors, you know, stuff like that. I've been, I've been jamming that a lot lately. I mean. Even maybe go back a little further. I've been listening to, you know, a lot of the uh, the fifties like Buddy Holly and shit like that. You know, fuck yeah. Now just 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 going back to some old old shit. Now, do you listen to CDs, vinyl, or are you a streaming person? I love CDs. You know, I, that's my era. I grew up in the CD era, but my favorite is vinyl. I love to collect vinyl, you know, but if you, if I'm personally listening, it's going to be CDs or, or, well, nowadays, because of the technology, I go to YouTube if I don't have it and I want to hear it. Yeah. YouTube has everything. Now, touring wise, you got this big anniversary celebration tour of As Real As It Gets, and that's going on for a while. So what else will be in the pipeline for the rest of the year? Are you going to hit up Europe? Are you going to hit up more of America? Uh, is Australia in the plans again? You weren't here long ago, but, you know, what's what's in store for the rest of this year and next year, apart from the album, of course? Well, we got, we're going to go to Europe twice this year. In August, we're going to Europe, and then again in October, November, we're going to Europe. We've got plans to go to South America in November. Um we're going to do this as a real tour in the States. Uh, we're going to go to Canada for a couple of days. You know, we got, we got a big, a big, uh, um, home front show in, in uh, Brooklyn in September, September 1st, we're playing in Brooklyn. So that's, that's a big, uh, you know, big day, big day for us. Um, I mean, you know, I, I took the, the gentleman who brought us out to Australia last time, Choppers. You know, you know Choppers. Yeah, yeah, I know Choppers. Yeah, well, he definitely wants to bring us back again, so we're going to work on that. And but I, I think he's more or less waiting for the new record to come out. He thought it was going to come out earlier. We thought it was going to come out earlier. Unfortunately, it's going to be a little bit later this year. So uh, maybe we'll work on something at the end of the year, beginning of next year for Australia. Yeah, fuck yeah. Get back out here. We need more. We need more. Never enough, to be honest. Definitely. I wish. I love it. Australia's great, man. It was great. It was great having you, having you guys here. It was quite a... Um, uh, I went to the Geelong show. It was quite a trip to see you guys um, out here. You know, so, you know, you're always welcome and um, get out of here as often as you can. And, you know, I think the Australian scene needs more bands that have the same kind of passion for the music that you guys have. We don't have a lot of it. We seem to get a lot of the um, bands that are more focused on their hairstyles than what they're playing. Um, <laughs> so. Listen, I don't have hair, Jeremy. I can't I know. worry about that. I know. You, you wear a bandana, maybe, you know, at most. So, <laughs> But that's that's the way the Australian scene is, unfortunately. It's less integrity, more, you know, showmanship. So... Um, yeah, get back here soon. Yeah, more, more, more fashion, less passion. Yeah, exactly. And it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Um, now, the one other, one other question before I wrap things up is, do you, do you think hardcore as a genre, um, because I say you guys are hardcore, um, do you still think it has the same power and meaning and purpose in 2018 that it did in 99? Hmm. Bit of a well. Bit it'll a never question. have the same kind. It'll never have the same kind of power it had in the eighties. That's for sure. Mm. That was a, that was a, that was a movement. It was a totally different thing. People were, you know, they were uprising. It, it was a way to escape, and it'll never be like that again. You know, today you got hardcore bands. Or well, I mean, today you got 
bands that they call hardcore bands. I don't really know what the hell they are. Sound like death metal to me, but they call them hardcore bands. And uh, you know, you got kids that are they're born into uh, families with the you know who have the silver spoon in their mouth, and they're able to go out and buy a bus and a, and and equipment and not have to worry about anything because the money is there and you know what kind of purpose or meaning could you really have if you're handed everything you're handed the tools to go out and and you don't have to work a day in your life to 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 get it it's i i can't i can't envision the message being the same as it was back then you know anything that we got we had to work for we 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 had to strive to want it to want to have it and you know we worked very hard sworn enemy i mean not even sworn enemy so many bands from that from past generations and eras worked very hard for everything that they got and you know i can't i don't know not one of those bands from the, the 80s that were that had a silver spoon in their mouth they were all squatting you know they were it was a different time it was a different world and what kind of meaning could a kid have today when, you know, he's growing up in the suburbs in a beautiful home, he's got tons of money, and, you know, parents say, here, yeah, here, here, Timmy, go buy, uh, go buy a bus. Yeah, here's a couple of million dollars. Go buy some equipment for the band. <laughs> hey, it's, it's spot on. I think music is, in many ways, losing its uh, passion, like we said earlier. It's just, yeah. It's losing, not... losing its integrity. Yeah, and it's sad. It's it's unfortunate, but hopefully it's just a phase. Hopefully it, you know, re-energizes and gets back to having the integrity and passion it used to. Hopefully, you know. I hope so. Now, before I let you go, Sal, every every time on this segment, I do what's called pick your poison. So you get two options, and you have to say which one of the two you prefer. So we just kind okay. of we're going to delve in and just kind of see if we can get a bit get figure out a bit more of what makes you tick, basically. So sure, pizza or burger? Pizza. Chicken or beef? Beef. Beer or whiskey? Whiskey. Cooking or dining out? Dining out. Cinema or couch? Couch. Beach or snow? Beach. Fuck, you're finding these easy so far. Cat or dog? <laughs> dog. Terminator or Predator? Terminator. Freddy or Jason? Mm. I guess I got to go with uh, Jason. Okay. Slayer or Pantera? Slayer. Terra or Madball? Madball. Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. Sabbath or Kiss? Kiss. Uh, baseball or basketball? Baseball. Mosh pit or up the back watching? <laughs> Mastered. <laughs> <laughs> Touring or recording? Touring. And last one, CD or vinyl? Vinyl. Thank you so much, Sal. Um, thank you for taking the time out, dude. It, I know it's been hard to try and get you free because you're a busy, busy man, but really, really appreciate it, dude. And I want to thank you for having me on your podcast, Jeremy. I appreciate it, man. It was an awesome time. Thank you so much, Sal. It, it really it means the world to me. So um, I can't say thank you enough, dude. Hey, man. It was my pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you, and I appreciate it as well. You're doing a lot for us, too. So thank you so much, man. So that was my chat with Sal of Sworn Enemy. Thank you so much, dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated absolute legend and an absolute standout band in the hardcore crossover game as i said earlier if you haven't heard them get the fuck onto them you will not be disappointed thank you again sal really appreciated it so that's it for the mosh zone episode 29 done and dusted thank you so much for tuning in 
If you're a first-time listener, thank you for holding out for the whole show. Thank you for listening to my rambling. Hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you come back next week. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in. Thank you for giving us your time, and I hope you enjoyed it. Now, this week, as I always say, if you've got the time, help us out. Share the podcast on your social medias. Share it with your friends. Let your friends know about it. Help us grow this Moshstone community. Your help is pivotal and very important to helping us grow. So anyone that shares it, anyone that spreads the word, thank you. Much love. We're very, very appreciative of you. Also this week, if you're listening on things like iTunes, make sure you give us a rating and review. Those are essential to helping us get out to more listeners and popping up in people's feeds. Help us out, give us a rating and review. So that's it. Not much else to say except make sure you have a safe week. Make sure you have a great week. Much love. We'll see you next week. Over the pit.